This episode of Modern Bonsai is brought to you by Bonsai N Online Masterclasses. The Bonsai N Intermediate Masterclass is now available. You will learn in-depth techniques to take your bonsai practice to the next level. In this course, we will be teaching wiring and engineering perspective, bonsai horticulture, fertilizing, pruning, collecting trees, developing trees for bonsai, bending branches, aesthetics of bonsai, art and design principles and their application in bonsai creation, deadwood creation and maintenance, bonsai styles, an in-depth view, group settings, shohin bonsai, and rock plantings. This online course is available worldwide and is not to be missed. Visit www.bonsai-en.com.au for more information. That's www.bonsai-en.com.au We'll see you when class is in session. Modern Bonsai Listeners Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. In today's episode, we have Sam, who is better known as the Aussie Bonsai Bloke on YouTube. Sam has entertained bonsai hobbyists on YouTube with his laid-back approach to bonsai and his fair dinkum Aussie spirit. So sit back and relax as we talk everything bonsai. First, I need to get a drink happening. Yeah, I'm actually out? breaking the. Yeah, I'm actually breaking the twelve o'clock rule. Normally it's beer o'clock, but here it's only eleven thirty because we're half hour behind. Yeah, but right. here we go. Cracking a beer. Ooh. I've cracked them a lot earlier than that when I go fishing. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Hmm. 5 a.m. starts when you're fishing. Mm. Yep. Beer o'clock is breakfast when you're fishing. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I've i never got the taste for beer. I'm still a whiskey drinker. Yep. Still on the whiskey, so you're pouring a whiskey? Yep. Beauty. You've got the... Um, Jack Daniels single barrel. Oh, nice! Single barrel top select. shelf. Yep. Yeah, that's top shelf stuff. Yeah, it's not cheap. It's about one hundred and twenty bucks a bottle. Yeah, my brother drinks it sometimes. He loves it. But um, I'm interested in checking out. There's actually a um, a Japanese whiskey that keeps popping up on my Facebook. Um, it's yeah. About, 150, 160 bucks a bottle, but it's called Miyagi oh, something. Yeah. But I'm, yeah, really interested to see because, you know, not only are the Japanese good at bonsai, but they're actually really good at making really potent alcohol. <laughs> yeah, they take everything to the extreme. Well, that's it. You know, we've got a couple of bottles of sake here, and uh, I'll tell you what, a couple of shots yeah. of that. <laughs> yeah. It'd be nice to do a podcast and have the Japanese um, whiskey. 
Yeah, yeah. So I've, I've still got a. We've got a local bottle shop that uh, stocks it. So I've got to go and grab some and just see what it's like. Yeah, yeah. That'll burn the pocket a bit. <laughs> yeah, 160 bucks a bottle. <laughs> <laughs> you have to make it make it last a year. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I'm I'm actually mm. surprised that you haven't got a brand endorsement with Tun yet. Yeah, I know. I've got the Tun here now. See. The old ton, no no endorsement. I think because they're Woolworths. Woolworths too stingy. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think anybody knew about ton beer until you started drinking it on your YouTube channel. No, a few people say they've tried it. Some people don't like it, but you know, it's cheap. Yeah, well, that's a. Uh, I think I've. That... Yeah. I've put the price of it up. I think I've. Uh, it started out. $29 for a 30 pack and now it's like $36. So I'm going to have to start jumping to some better beer if it's going to cost that much. <laughs> You'll have to go back to the old um, goon sack days. Yeah, goon sack or, you know, something like Great Northern or Super Dry. I like me Super Dry. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, no, Good as beer. I said, the, the, all the J's in whiskey for me, Jack, Johnny, Jimmy. Yeah, yeah. My brother's the same. He's Jack Daniels all the way. Everything Jacks yep. loves it. Yeah, I yeah. used to. Um, <laughs> when, when I first started drinking, I used to drink the the cheaper bourbon, the Cougar, and then. Oh yeah. Then I was drinking the Old Crows. What they they used to call that Green Death, or was that the um, the ginger ginger beer? No that ginger uh, additive that you put in. It might have been the Cougars because they did come in a green can and I tell you what, it did make you feel like death the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I used, don't worry, I used to drink it. We used to go into the bottle eyes, you know, teenagers and go like, oh, yeah, can I have you a $20 bottle of bourbon? Because back then it was 20 bucks. And you'd be like, yep, give me a $20 bottle. And they'd just pick whatever's on special for 20 bucks and give it to you and you just drink whatever they give you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like the uh, house special. Yeah, and then we'd put it in a two-liter coke, you know. And me and my mate, you know, back then, we'd go halves, ten bucks each. Go out to a party, we'd buy a two-liter coke bottle, our bottle of whatever they give you for twenty bucks. We'd drink some coke at the top and put you know, half the bottle in each into the two litre Coke each. And that would be our drink for the night. We'd just drink our two litre Coke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Good old days. Yeah, the old yeah. school days. Classic Australian drinking. Yeah. Yeah. It's either out of a plastic bottle about. or out of a brown paper bag. Yep. Normally for us, two litre Coke bottle. And by the time we get to the bottom, we'd be over the side of the fence, you know, pouch up. Because <laughs> back then, you know, half a bottle when you're first starting out drinking is a fair bit. Um, enough, enough for a power chart. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know that. When I first started drinking, I went to a New Year's Eve party and um, it was my yep. first time on the, the vodka, the, the Smirnoff. Yep. And um, was drinking it with, with squash um, and pretty much got, oh, just over halfway through the bottle and end up being dressed like a clown. I don't know where the clown yeah. came from. <laughs> <laughs> it 
someone would have given it to you. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> uh, when you first start drinking, you're a bit vulnerable. <laughs> yeah, I know. It gets out of control pretty quick. <laughs> and I, I still haven't drank vodka since that night because, you know, it's. I think everybody has that experience where they first start drinking, they go a bit hard and paint whether it's on whiskey, vodka, beer, or whatever it is, and then from that moment on, you just can't stomach that alcohol? Yeah, mine was um, beer, believe it or not. It was homebrew beer. First time was down the river fishing. I only had two long necks of beer, and I was hurling up absolutely sick, you know, bile and everything coming up. And I didn't drink beer for about two years, and I could only sip it for a couple of years just a sip here and a sip there yep but slowly got the taste back but it took a long time to get the taste of beer <laughs> yeah uh, long I, said, time. I still haven't got the taste of beer yeah yeah yep. i just can't yeah can't stand the the taste of it and the smell um i've even i've even tried you know bitching out and going for a shandies but <laughs> yep <laughs> no, that's all right nothing wrong with jacks anyway yeah, that's it. So um, I think for this podcast, a proper introduction from the Aussie bonsai bloke, I think we can't start it without the proper fair income introduction. All right, let's do it. Good day, Aussie bonsai bloke. Yeah, go. And we're here with Josh on Modern Bonsai Podcast. Awesome. <laughs> so I'm actually... Um, I know in one of your videos a while ago, you were working on a tree and you were kind of telling your story on how you, you got into bonsai and stuff like that. For, but for the people that are listening to this podcast now, you know, you know, across the world, um, we have 42 countries yep. that listen to this podcast. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Just tell them a little bit about, you know, who you are and uh, how you got into, you know, this wonderful art of bonsai. Yep. Well, first of all, my name is Sam. Um, for those that just think of me as Aussie Bonsai bloke. Um, but generally, well, when I first got a house, I didn't garden much at all, really. Um, but going back even further, uh, my grandma used to take us out in the garden and we'd, you know, divide bulbs and stuff like that, just play around in her garden. Um, so that was probably my first taste of gardening. And she had uh, a couple of bonsai books just from a magazine. Not sure which, which magazine, but back in the day, pretty old. Um, and we had, she had a pepper tree, I believe, as bonsai. But it wasn't really a bonsai as what we look at bonsai now. It was just literally a stick in a pot, um, a seedling pepper tree that she chucked in a pot. And then she told me about bonsai with that tree. Um, and that was the first sort of thing I heard about bonsai. And it got me interested that if you put a full-size tree in a pot, how the heck can it, you know, stay so small? Um, and it got me interested back then. But then I didn't really think about it for years after that. Um, bought a house, didn't garden. Um, I had, I even bought a lavender bush for the backyard, planted the lavender bushes along a hedge, all of them died. Couldn't even keep the lavender bush alive. And you know how hardy they are. Um, <laughs> couldn't keep it alive. 
And I was like, man, I do not have a green thumb at all. I cannot look after a thing. Anyway, so I didn't buy another plant. I was like, no, nah, I'm just not a green thumb. I had weeds up to me waist through the whole backyard, didn't look after it. Um, even had cow trot grow in the backyard and the cow trot, I thought, oh, that ground cover looks really nice. I love that ground cover. And it was, you know, the, the prickle, the cow trot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, looks bloody, you know, looks pretty good. I'll leave it. Next minute the neighbour comes over. What the hell are you doing in your backyard, Sam? I said, what do you mean? It looks good. Nice carpet, green carpet. And then they said, that's bloody old Jack's man. You go and have a look. There'll be old Jack's on it. I said, oh, crap. So I, um, you know, I ended up with a whole backyard of just Jack's. Um, and then I planted a lawn out the back. I already had a lawn out the front, looked after the lawn. And I have to say, lawn got me back in the garden because I looked after the lawn. I started really enjoying fertilising it, looking after it, mowing it. So I've always been really keen on lawns. Um, and anyway, if I fast forward, uh, made it work. He was always really quiet and secretive um, and wouldn't tell me what he did in his spare time. But one day he said, Sam, you want to come along to uh, Adelaide? I'm going to some bonsai shops. I said, oh, bonsai? I said, oh, I've always been, like, secretly interested in it. Anyway, the wife paid me out and said, oh, you're a loser, whatever, <laughs> going to look at bonsai, <laughs> which is, you know, the general reaction from the family, I think. Um, and they all laughed at me and paid me out. But then I went, got my first one, which was an ash tree, mountain ash, I think it was. Um, and from then it exploded. I had, within two years, I would have had 300 seedlings and trees and sticks and you know, just crappy stuff, but I had over 300 just sitting around in pots and in the garden beds and everywhere, just planted them everywhere. So, yeah, and then from there, then I um, I pretty well just started working in the shed on my bonsai, and that's pretty well where I've been since. I've never really gone to a club or anything. It's just too far away. You know, I'm almost isolated where I am now. Um so that's a bit of a pity. I'd like to join up with someone. But anyway, I have fun in the shed and I've just been working and started from sticks. And as you can see, they're starting to get a bit better now. Um, and that's pretty much it, you know. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a pretty common story too with, you know, people who, because it happened to me as well. When we got a, um, we were renting a house and the owner of the house uh, a couple of years before we'd moved in, she'd actually um, bought out a whole nursery. So there was a nursery that was shutting down, a local yeah. nursery, and she bought the whole thing because our neighbours were telling us, wow. you know, one day all these semi-trailers turned up in the street and they were just full of um, potted potted plants. And um, mm. she planted every single one in this backyard. And it, it was... Oh, wow. Yeah, it was well known in the in the town for the the house with the forest in the backyard because it just had these big massive trees and she had like tons of birds of paradise, palm trees, um like you name it, there was just everything. And when we moved when we moved into that house, I did not have an interest in gardening, plants, and yet I had a whole nursery to my disposal. 
you know, in the backyard. Oh, so you moved into that. Yeah, so you moved into that house that you put it all in. Yeah, yeah. So. Oh, wow. There was, um, oh, there probably would have been 50 or 60 marayas all in a line. Um, yep. And, yeah, I, I end up getting into bonsai while we're in that house, and um, the only tree that I collected from that yard was a marea because it was the only thing that I could kind of get out and cover up that I'd taken something because, you know, <laughs> yeah. you, you could grow the other marayas kind of over the gap where... <laughs> Where the missing yeah, one yeah, was. Yeah. So I've still got mm-hmm. that tree now. Um, but oh, yeah, nice, yeah. It's just funny how you can be so, you know, surrounded by something but not take notice of it until, you know, you get into something like bonsai and then it just opens your eyes, you know, to the world around you, you know? Yeah, oh, definitely. Like when I, when I moved into my first house, there was some bushes and stuff. And I just got the chainsaw and just chopped them all off. An orange tree, I chopped it off at the base. It had no interest in plants at all. And now I really regretted that once I got into bonsai. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> um, we're, we're on a three-acre property now. And all the time yeah. it's just going for walks and seeing what's coming up and, oh, I can collect that. Oh, I'll get that. Yeah. You, know, you guys t- get good rainfall. Oh, yeah. I mean, in the last week, we've had about 300 mil. Yeah, wow. That's just crazy. (laughs) Absolutely crazy. We get uh, 300 mil per year. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's nuts. And are you on tank water down there? Um, I've actually got uh, what they call an indirect water supply. So we've got 14 houses on one water pipeline that comes from um, water that goes from the Murray to Adelaide. We've sort of tapped into it and we've got 14 houses on that. So it's unfiltered, untreated, just straight. Um, we call it swamp water, but it's straight from the Murray, but unfiltered. Yep. I mean, yeah. that, that'd still be good to water your trees with, I reckon. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Like we, without it, Growing stuff here is impossible. You have to, even the native trees that grow in this area, you have to water them for the first probably three years um, to get them established before you can leave them on their own because they'll just die. Yeah, and only getting 300 mils of rain a year, I can imagine that getting a bore installed is probably not an option because your water table would be so low. Yeah, as um, closer closer to the Murray, it's only 10 metres or so, but ours is actually... 60 metres down, and even if you get to it, it's salty, so <laughs> good luck. <laughs> yeah, no, I can imagine. And the, the cost of getting a bore installed, even for a shallow one, can run you about $6,000. Oh, yeah, I think if we wanted a bore out here, it would be over twenty grand um, to get it done. Yeah, no, that's crazy. Yeah. And I don't know if you've ever seen people's houses and that they water on irrigation systems that are fed by the bore and that but the the side of their houses and sheds and everything go yellow because of the iron in the water oh yeah okay yep yeah basically just paints everything yellow yeah and if you got it a little bit salty because a lot of bores are salty um your fruit trees and stuff like that never really grow to their potential they just you know all the edges of the leaves always burn yep um and they struggle. 
Yeah. So, um, yeah. what what kind of trees do you work with most out there? I can see you've got a lot of Aussie natives, but what about you know? How do you go with things like maples and that? Um, we about two years ago we had a forty nine degree day uh, Celsius, and um, the maples burnt their leaves because um, it's windy as well, and um, Anyway, the maples burnt their leaves, but that's it. You know, then they come back. They're actually really, really hardy trees. They seem to survive it well. Like I've got a couple of uh, maples outside and um, their leaves this year are just absolutely beautiful. There's no sign of heat stress or anything on it. I mean, we've had a pretty mild year this year, but um, they grow pretty well. And I've got a shade shelter over the top, so you get morning and afternoon sun, but during the midday, the shade's like a 90% shade, but up high. So then the morning sun can come in from each side. Uh, the morning sun one side, the afternoon's on the other side. And during the hottest part of the day, they're under 90% shade. So they, they're loving it now. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that shade, has that really picked up the healthier trees since installing it? Oh, it has. Before then, I was struggling. Everything was burning. Even the natives, the olives were even suffering a little bit, um, which are really, really hardy trees. Um, but everything was burning. And then I put this shade up, and this year the trees have never looked so healthy. They're really, really packing on the growth this year. Yeah, and I, I can imagine down where you are, you would struggle to keep trees alive in inorganic materials like acadama and pumice and stuff. Have you have you tried it down? Yeah, there? so never tried it. Um, originally, I used to use scoria, which I don't know what the technical term is, but you know, granite rock top stuff, porous stuff. I used to use that with vermiculite and then half potting mix. Um, but then I got lazy and now I just buy the Bunnings or the Debco Bonsai Mix, which is pretty well potting mix, but with a few, you know, coarse bits of rock in it. But generally it's just potting mix and things grow really well in that. Like I water four times a day in summer yep. um, on an automatic watering system. Everything's on automatic, otherwise it'd be dead. Um, just couldn't rely on my hand watering it, just all die. But Having said that, in the potting mix, nothing gets root rot. Everything's healthy. You pull them out of the pots, they got healthy roots. Um, so, no, to answer your question, not really. I haven't really tried pumice or anything like that. Um, I just feel like they would just dry out and die pretty quick. Yeah, in that kind of environment, you'd be watering a lot. Um, that's yeah, why yeah. When, when we sell trees here at the nursery, um, you know, just like starter trees in a bonsai pot, even though, you know, we've got access to all the Akadama pumice and Kanuma and all that stuff here, generally those trees that go out for sale, I put them in a mix of just general potting mix and um, perlite. So what I do is I get the, yep. I get a big bag of potting mix and I put like a one mil screen on the sieve and just sieve out the real fine stuff that will clog up the pot. Um, yep. And then I put, put that 50-50 with the perlite and oh man yep. some of the results that i've seen from that has just been absolutely amazing like i had um i had a juniper that had 
um, I'd planted it upright in a pot, an informal upright, and then, um, yep. you know, kind of just rushing the job and I didn't secure it in the pot properly. And mm-hmm. th- throughout the year, it slowly started to lean, 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 lean. <laughs> Until yeah. eventually it was in a it was in a rectangle pot and it was a cascade coming out the side of the rectangle pot. Yeah. And I finally because wow. at the time I had hundreds and hundreds of trees to look after and I kinda just put that one in there. Yeah, you just sort of forget about it, yeah. Yeah, put that one in the not for sale area. I'll get to that, you know, sometime. And then I finally got yeah. got round to to fixing that tree up. I took it out of the pot and as you can imagine, when you stood the, the trunk up the root system was kind of standing up with it yeah. on an angle. Straight out, straight out, yeah. And I thought, well, there's no way to fix this because I can't, I can't actually rake the roots out and put it in another bonsai pot because it's gonna have, it's not gonna be sturdy at all. Um, yeah, yeah. So what I did was I got a, a black plastic grow pot, put it in with the mix of fifty percent perlite and um, sifted uh, potting mix, and tied it. Yep tied it into the black plastic pot with like supports on each side so the tree couldn't move because it had no no solid root mass to kind of hold it in there and yep no no word of a lie within three months it had a stable root system in that mix wow yeah it was yeah i mean i can yeah you're up you got uh i was just gonna say I can imagine because the extra air that it gets from that mix, as long as you can keep the moisture up, the extra air that it gets really makes things go nuts. Yeah, well, that's it. Um, I, I can't believe how quick that mix makes root systems grow. And, um, you know, sometimes I've got two different mixes that I develop in. One is a mix of, uh, well, actually, I tell a lie, I've got three. So i got... For things like um, pines and junipers and stuff, I use a mix of coarse river sand, um, pine bark, and uh, fly ash, which is like a byproduct of um, power stations. And it gets, um, oh, okay. yeah, it gets crushed up, and it's almost like a like a really light scoria. Um, oh yeah, yeah, it's really good stuff. Um, and then for the almost native, like the carbon left over or something. Yeah, yeah. And like for the, the stuff that sticks to your flue nearly. Well, it's it's like a greyish colour. Um you can buy it from you can buy it from like landscaping places and they call it environmental aggregate. Um oh, okay, yeah. It's super cheap, but when you buy it from the the landscape places, it's generally in like twenty mil particles. Like it's really big. Oh, okay. Yeah, too big. Um, yeah. Yeah, but um. That'll yeah, do so... your scissors well to good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then for the natives, I use the same mix, but without the fly ash, because it um, obviously holds more moisture. Um, yep. And then for trees that I really want to pump and get rapid growth on. I use the 50% potting mix with the 50% perlite mix. So they're, they're yep. basically the three mixes I use, but we're really lucky here where we are that once we go into a bonsai pot, we can use those inorganic materials such as akadama and pumice and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Because I tell you what, the, the people that have never used it, 
one, just one year in that stuff is just the growth you see on the trees, like the small leaves and the small internodes, and oh, it's just absolutely crazy. Yeah, I mean, I I could try it, but I would have to water probably eight times a day. <laughs> oh yeah, that's what I was saying. That's why I asked you if you've ever used it because I just don't think it would be feasible in that environment. Yeah, how often do you water per day? Um, in summer, I would say probably three times a day. Yeah, so um, it's still pretty high up there. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, Akadama has a really high moisture retention. Um, yep. It's pretty good because uh, I've got all my natives are in 100% Akadama and my maples are in 100% yep. Akadama. Um, I've got a couple of Chinese elms that are ready to go into a bonsai pot this season, which will be going into 100% Akadama. Um, yep. If... If you were somewhere that had a lot of rain, like Japan or um, like Portland or somewhere like that, you'd definitely be mixing that with, um, you know, some pumice. You'd probably be using a 50-50 mix <clears throat> rather than yeah. just 100% Akadama. Otherwise, you'd drown the tree. Um, yeah. But the, the, other, the other issue you run in with using 100% Akadama is the repotting schedule. It kind of becomes a lot more rapid. Um yeah, because it breaks down a bit. Yeah, it breaks down really quick. Um, you're looking at about 18 yep. months, and it's pretty much broken down. Oh, really? Wow, yeah. Yeah, so you can only really use the 100% in things like natives that can be repotted so frequently. Um, Did you hear about um, Ryan Neal? He had someone on from Australia talking about worm castings. I don't know whether that's going to be a thing or not. Yeah, that was um, that was pretty interesting. I listened to that podcast, and I'm you know just yeah. wait, waiting for everybody else to try it and see the results. And yeah, don't try it on your good trees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I always die. always like to sit back and watch results. Yeah, look at results first. I on my crappy trees, I test things out. Like one time, I um, sandpapered an olive. I sandpapered the bark. The whole trunk, the main trunk, sandpaper, it was some coarse sandpaper all the way around on all the branches because it had that, you know, that green, really smooth bark? Yeah, yep. Um, and I, I sandpapered it thinking, oh, I'd probably, it'd probably die, but we'll see what happens. And it come back with really black, nice bark over the whole thing. So it just, you know, regenerated. And now it's got bark over the whole thing. So I'm reckoning... Now I'm going to try it on my really good olive, my big one, and because that's got smooth bark but a really big trunk, and I'm going to try sandpaper and that whole thing and see what happens. Yeah, well, if it worked on the other one, then you know, pray that it hopes on a second, that it works on a second one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I tried up a good tree, the good tree will die. No, I, I was the same because um, one of my favourite. Uh, species to work with is actually tea trees. Um, I've yep. got quite a few Beautiful, of them in my yeah. collection. Um, and, you know, if you, if you read the literature on them and, you know, previous people who have worked with them, they always say, oh, you can't take off, you know, more than a third of the root mass without upsetting the tree. <coughs> you know, if you take off more than a third, then the tree will die. Um, yep. 
And so far, I've actually potted up quite a few tea trees where I've taken two-thirds of the root mass off um, in one go. So yep. I actually bought – I bought a – it was funny. I bought a – it was sold as a bowl. That's what it was labeled as. It was at our local art center. <laughs> um, yeah. So we, we have a local um, art center where they have – like pottery classes, they do woodworking. Um, they actually have a bonsai club up there. Um, they do all kinds of stuff. And then they've got like a little shop where the people who participate up there can sell their work. And yep. w- one day me and my partner were in the area having lunch um, at the lighthouse. And I said, oh, we should just go over to the arts and have a look, you know, just see what's in there. And, um, yeah, when I walked in, there was this, as I said, it was labelled as a bowl. And it had bulging sides on it, um, and it it's like an off-white colour with crackling all down the sides, and inside the crackling is actually like a really, it's like a bluish purplish glaze in between the cracks. And yep. but the funny thing is, is underneath it's actually got what looks like wire support holes for a bonsai tree and like a big drainage hole. And I was like, oh, oh, yep. Fair enough, and and then um, there was like a label, like a tag inside it for the price, and I thought, this looks like it's going to be a really expensive pot. Um, so I turned yep. the tag over, and it said thirty bucks, and I was like, this oh, can't, I was like, this can't be right. So I took it to the counter, and yeah, no word of a lie, thirty <laughs> bucks. Took it home, yeah, and it's you know it's pretty small. It's not a very big pot, um, probably equivalent to you know a ten inch pot but round um, yep. and I got a, a tea tree out of a, a 10 inch grow pot and got it into this tiny little pot and I thought well you know the literature that I've read on the, the tea trees and that there's going to be minimal chance of survival for this tree and it did, yep. not, did not skip a beat at all and it was just you know yeah, follow, amazing. Yeah, following good aftercare and everything put, you know keeping it out of the sun making sure it's, you know, kept up with its moisture, leaving a section of the root ball untouched, you know, in the, in the center. Yep. Just all those standard yep. practices, you know. And, yeah, it went went like the clappers after that. Couldn't stop it from growing. Yep. And, um, and then I've tried it on a couple of other tea trees since, um, and they're some of my best trees. So, you know, it just goes to show. You know, you, you experiment on one thing and, oh, yeah, it goes okay. Okay, now I'll try it on another, see how that goes. Oh, yeah, not too bad. And, you know, I actually spoke with Ryan Neal about that and I told him, I was like, yeah, I got it, you know, into the into the little pot. And, he, you know, he basically said, yeah, well, now it's your job to do that another 20 times and see if it works. Yeah, so you tried it another 20 times? I've tried it probably another six or seven times and haven't lost a tree yet. Still good, yeah. No, that's good. I mean, I think um, Australian natives extremely difficult to get out the ground, as you know, but once they're in a pot, they're very hardy. Yeah. But you, you know what I cannot do is collect a she-oak, like a casuarina. Yeah. I just cannot just do it for the life of me. I've tried yeah. I've tried everything. I, I collected one a few weeks back and, you know, from everything that I've studied and heard, you know, the time to collect them is 
out of summer into autumn when they have their next round of growth. You see all the new buds and shoots. So there was yep. this there was this twin trunk one that I knew about, and I thought I'm going to get it. I waited until yep. autumn. Got as much of the root mass up as I possibly could. Planted it in 100% pumice. Kept the water up to it. Kept it in the shade. Kept it misted. And it's still not looking very nice. <laughs> oh no. So yeah. Oh. I don't know. Australian natives to me are impossible to collect. Yep. Um, I've just gone and bought a heap of tube stock because I just can't collect them. They just die. Like um, They say to collect them after a big rain because um, it produces new roots close to the base, um, but nothing seems to work for me. <laughs> yeah, no, that's it. It's, it's one of those things. It's trial and error with collecting that kind of stuff, but... You know, on on the property here, I've actually got a couple of trees that I'm planning on collecting in the next week or so. I've got a bottle brush, yep. a melaleuca, and uh, a big privet that's been run over by the slasher quite a few times. Yeah, yeah. So it's just, it's this big gnarled up stump, and I've been checking it every week, and it's got new shoots coming everywhere, so... Um, no, that's yeah. good. Going to give those a go and see you know, what kind of results that, you know, I can get with that. Yeah, I heard I heard the, uh, well, I know from previous experience, the Calisman's the only one I can dig up and it survives. The Calisman's actually pretty good. Yep. And, um, it seems to, it must store a lot of energy in the root ball or not the root ball, but the base of the tree and in the trunks and stuff that you can dig it up without roots at all. And the Calisman or the bottle brush just seem to, just you know sulk for a few months but then they just shoot out with all new growth and they seem fine even you can collect them almost like an olive not quite yeah they're a super hardy tree i've had um i had a yeah. couple of bottle brushes that were actually um nursery stock and they were in a growing container yeah and they were getting watered you know every day like everything else um getting watered super regularly like you do with natives and um Unbeknownst to me, in the middle of the root system had actually become so compacted that it wasn't taking on the water in the middle of the, the root system. It was kind of just running down the side of the pot. And, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they basically dropped every leaf they had, you know, lost all their colour, uh -huh. dropped every leaf they had. Yeah. And I basically went, oh, I think they're probably done for. Chucked them up in the corner didn't bother with them for the next couple of months and they started growing again. No. With no care. Yeah, they're super, super hardy, yeah. And I, I another it's time crazy. I actually had, um, we had tons and tons of stock of uh, Melaleuca alternifolia and yeah. I, had, I had that much stock that I had five or six trees actually blow off a bench and roll away. <laughs> mm -hmm. And... Uh, yeah. They'd rolled off into the bushes, unbeknownst to me. Oh, no. <laughs> a couple yeah. of months later, I'd gone for a walk and I found all these all these Melaleucas in 10-inch pots laying in these bushes. And I thought, shit, where did these come from? That must have been stock from up the nursery. <laughs> it's just rolled away. So anyway, picked them all up, took them back up. None of them had any growth on them. They were all fully dried up. and All the leaves were gone. Yeah, basically. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I'll see what happens with them. 
So I basically got them, trunk chopped them down to nothing, and um, yep. and then just kept watering them, um, put them in like a tray of water, and every single one of them shot back. Wow. Every yeah, single that's one crazy, of them. isn't it? And then I grew yep. them on for about a year and have sold every one of them in the nursery as healthy melaleucas. Yep. Wow. That is crazy. Have you tried digging the alternifolia or no? No, not yet. Um, I know some guys yeah. that um, they have a massive one on their property. It's going to need to be dug out with a um, like a, a tractor. Excavator or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, we're, we've all sat down and kind of had talks on <laughs> how that how that might happen yeah. or, you know, but it's one of those Whether things. Whether it's five. Yeah, because I mean it's it's hard. To, I've heard him say that you dig half the half the root ball on one side of the tree, chuck it full of sphagnum moss and a bit of potting mix and stuff. Water that all the time, and then the next year you do the other side of the tree, keep watering the whole thing close to the base, and then the third year, so it takes you three years to dig it out. The third year, then you can dig it out, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, they're alternifolia. They're very sooky plants. Yeah. Um. I you know I've got one in development here in a black plastic pot, and I can't tell you how many times it's had a sook and dried up and dropped all its leaves and then reshot again. And I just think, man, that yeah. But in saying that, I've got one that's in a bonsai pot in a hundred percent acadama, and it never sooks ever. Yeah. So, yeah, I've only had one. I've only had one that survived collection because <clears throat> at my old house, before I moved, I planted probably, I don't know, 150 trees in the garden with plans to dig them all up. And then we had feral neighbours that used to have the cops around every night and they'd be screaming at each other, yelling, having domestic abuse, all that sort of stuff. So we're going to move. So I had to leave it all behind, but I dug a few up. And the only one that survived was a, I think it was an alternifolia, but I can't dead soon, but it's definitely a melaleuca. And what I did with that one is I put it into a container full of gravel and water with no drainage hole. So it was full of water and gravel, yep. planted it in that, and it stayed in there for two years with the water to the top. And that one actually grew really well. The roots would rot a bit, but then grow again rot and grow and then when I put it into a pot this year with just plain bonsai mix which is just your Debco bonsai mix that you get from the store um, it's doubled in size like it's it's got a nice trunk collected it with a trunk probably that big yep. um, and that's doing really well but that's the only one I've had to survive well it, it's funny too because you know you're saying about keeping them in the water and that um we had yeah. we had a whole bunch of stock here um, during summer of alternofolia. And what I did is I put them in, in tubs and I filled the tub up full of water and, um, you know, you had a black plastic pot, but the tub was actually bigger than the black plastic pots and we had the, the tub filled all the way to the top. So the water was... I actually, covered them. Yeah, it was actually up over the top of the pot and soil line and going up the trunk, the water. 
and I kept oh, him in wow. there. I kept him in there for the summer, just because yep. if you don't keep on top of that watering that species in summer, you you lose it instantly. Um, so I kept him in yep. there over summer, and what was happening is when I was, I had I actually had them down on the ground on a pallet, all on a pallet yep. in these tubs with the water, and when I was mowing. Because on acreage, you never collect your grass, you just side shoot it. When I was mowing, yep, yep. going past there, the side shoot was throwing the grass off into the the tubs of water. And what I think yep. was happening was the grass was breaking down and the trees were basically sitting in liquid fertilizer, nitrogen. And they loved it. And I pulled them out. And this is the first time I've ever seen this, and I'm actually going to try it again just to see if it was a fluke or whatever it was. But what happened was the roots actually grew up out of the top of the soil and off the trunk, and when I pulled the, the containers out of the water, they actually had a root system that was above the top of the container all the way to the top of the water line. Oh, no. And what I did was when I took them out, I started taking those roots away because I knew obviously I still had roots down in the, the pot. So if I took took those roots off up high, it wasn't going to affect the tree. But what I found yep. was where those roots were on top, the trunk, the trunks had gone from these little little nursery stock like this to these massive trunks in three months over summer. Yeah. I, I believe you because I had – the one that I was starting, there would turn a folia that I collected from and put it in the gravel and the water. I don't know whether it's something to do with the water swelling the trunk or what, but that thing went from thumb thickness to, you know, probably two inches thick in, yeah, like in no time at all. So I don't know whether the water swells it up or what happens, but it does seem to work. Yeah, no, because it was funny. I had, um, I had a little bit of wire on them to, you know, give the initial movement because that's what we do here. We get basically oh, yeah. really raw nursery stock. We put the initial, you know, movement and stuff in it for the customers and then they can come and buy a tree that's, you know, actual bonsai stock. Um, yeah, yep. So we put the wire on the trunks, bent them up, and when I pulled them out of the, the thing, you couldn't even see the wire. The paper bark, it actually swelled and grown over the wire. So you left the wire in there? No, I ended up pulling it out. I had to split the bar. Got it out? Got the wire off. Uh-huh. Um, but the thing yeah. is, th- those trees will just continue to swell and the paper bark will grow over the wire, bar- uh, wire bite. Oh, yeah. Um, I've never really cared too much about wire marks. I think they grow out, so um, ne- never been a problem with me. No, I don't think... It's only um, smooth bark trees and like your deciduous stuff because you can't hide it. Um, and things yeah, like yeah. things like junipers, um, they take really well to it. I had a had a really young juniper, and I'd put the wire on it and it had bit bit in, taken the wire off, yep. let it kind of grow out a bit, and then the next year I put the wire on the opposite way, and it bit yep. in again. And what I ended up with was like a really plated bark on this really young juniper. Yeah, it would have made it really interesting having it go back the other way again the next year. Mm. So and and I think it, I think it, um, 
uh, swells up the trunk faster too if, if you let it bite in a bit more. Well, yeah, because, you know, once the, the trunk comes in and tries to heal those wounds, you get that swelling mm. of the cambium. Yeah. You know, that's, um, you know, when you're trying to fix inverse taper low down on the trunk, you know, you got a little trunk like that and then it swells out. If you come in and do a little bit of a shari just on that little skinny section, as it heals, yep. it'll actually swell that bit because of the cambium healing. Yep. Then the next year you come in yep. and you widen that shari a little bit and then it'll swell again, widen the shari and it'll swell again until you've gotten rid of that taper. Yeah, yeah. Damage to the trunk, I guess, makes it swell up and heal and I guess a bit like a bodybuilder tearing their muscles, they get bigger. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that's it. No, it's funny, um, you know, all these all these things that you hear people talk about, like, oh, I can't let wire bite in the trees and that, but, you know, it's it's only on certain things, like I said, with the deciduous trees and that, you definitely don't want it biting in because, one, you'll never never properly heal it um, because yep. you, don't, you don't have that corky bark to kind of cover it up and what, what Yeah. Yep. But I actually, um, a couple of friends of mine, um, Andrew Edge and um, Ashley Brown and all that, they went to Japan and they went to a, um, a specialty black pine nursery. Um, yeah. And what they were doing at that nursery was they were actually – putting wire on the trunks of these black pines and leaving it in there. So they would never, never take it out, never take it out. So they would let the, the tree grow over the wire. And what that actually did was caused the tree to heal in such a way that it was really gnarly and craggly. Yeah. And give it good bark too, I imagine. Yeah. So as you can imagine, all those blokes, as soon as they come back, they're wiring up their pines and leaving it on. <laughs> Leaving the wire on. Oh, leave it on, leave it on. Don't take it off. Let it cut in. <laughs> As it, it's the first time I've seen it. I was looking at one of their trees and I seen the wire in the middle of the tree. I was like, is that wire still in there? <laughs> You'd be like, I only meant to cut that out. And they'd be like, no, no, we're trying new experiment. Yeah. <laughs> new technique. It's almost like boning for the tree. You can, you can bend it whenever you want because it's got the wire built in. Yeah, I mean, you notice when you accidentally leave some wire up the top of the tree and it bites in hard, that bit really does swell up and become too fat and then you do have to chop it off. But in general, wire, wire biting is not too bad unless, like I say, it happens up too high and it really makes a fat nub right at the top. Yeah, um, that, that can be an issue when you're, you know, trying to refine a tree in development. It won't be too yeah. bad. Because you're probably going to cut off yeah. what's up there anyway. Yeah, yeah. But even my tea trees, um, they take well to wire bite. If it bites in, you just take it off, let it grow out for, you know, a couple of months. And there's some trees like um, that Morea I was telling you about that I collected. Um, you actually have to let the wire bite in on that tree because if you don't, it doesn't doesn't take yeah, yeah. So if you take that wire off before, then, it'll just bounce back. Yeah, yeah. So you've got to actually let it bite in. And, I mean, <clears throat> I naturally let 
my wire bite in because I'm too lazy to get it off in time. But <laughs> um, it, you do a lot of trees. You do have to let it bite in for a bit. Yeah, because otherwise it just won't hold, and then you know you got to rewire the mm. tree, and you know every time you wire a tree, there's a chance you're going to break a branch. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, and I mean, I've taken a bit of a backseat to wiring now. Like I wire primary branches right at the start from the trunk, so that they shoot off in directions that look good. Yep. And then after that, I've, you know, followed Nigel Saunders with his technique of cut and clip and grow, cut and grow, whatever you want to call it. Um, yep. And I think it gives it a better angular look rather than like the S sort of, because you can never get a real angular change with wire unless you want to snap that branch. So I just wire the primary now. I've got it mainly because I'm lazy, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, that that's more of that penging look, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. And, I mean, like, I think, you know, wiring at start, like, it's good fun. I like putting wire on, but my pet hate as much as weeding is taking wire off. That's the worst, absolute worst is taking wire off because the foliage grows in. And you can't see where the wire is and you're bending around in all awkward positions. It's like working under a car. You can't get to that bolt. Yeah. And the same thing with this wire. You try to cut it off and it's underneath the canopy and you twist it all contorted trying to get to it. And I found that that was the worst, taking it off. Yeah, no, it's um, definitely one of those things where you really appreciate a good set of wire cutters when you take a wire off trees because... Mm. If you don't have a good set of wire cutters, oh man, it can be a hassle, especially when it is bitten in. Yeah, oh, it's very hard to get that last little thread of wire when it's bitten in. It's very hard to get that last bit. Yeah, you got to try and get a grip on it and try and pry it out and get that little, just a little bit that you can grip onto and then un untwist it a bit. Yeah, um, and like you say, a good set of wire cutters. Um, where the tip just doesn't get rounded because some of the cheap ones will round off and then you can't quite get in there properly. But if you've got a good set, um, gets right in there and you can get that last little bit. Yeah. So um, how, how do you go with your, your weeding in that down there? Because um, I, I know up here... Uh, it's a struggle. Yeah. I mean, up here in our climate, you just can't stop them. Yeah. Um. I, I struggle. I've heard some people using pre-emergent. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, um, nurseries use a lot of pre-emergent <coughs> um, stuff, but, you know, I, I don't know what it's affecting. It sounds it's dangerous. Just... Yeah, and it sounds dangerous. And you're watering that much, would the pre-emergent would wash out, would it or not? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, yeah, I, 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 know, I know a nursery that uses it and it doesn't seem to work. Yeah, okay, yep. Um, and um, I think the person that comes up with something to stop weeds in a bonsai pot will be a millionaire because there's, there's oh, one particular it's pain, weed. absolute pain. I've got one particular weed here and, you know, I'm not up to scratch on my weed names. <laughs> so I don't know what it's, yeah, what yep. it's actually called, but um, it grows like a little clover 
kind of leaf, and then on top of it, mm. it has like a little bulb. And if you touch that yep. bulb, it explodes and sends seeds everywhere. Oh, it's a pain. So, so you <laughs> absolute get... pain. I, I, I call that creeping oxalis, but I don't actually know what it actually is. Yeah, that, that, that could be it. But, I mean, it explodes and then it goes to the next bonsai pot and then it grows and then it explodes and goes oh, to the... It's shocking. And another one that's really bad is the... Um, I, I don't know what the proper name is, same as you, I don't know, but I call it Irish moss. Um, it looks like moss when it comes up, but it actually has deep roots and it gets really thick type moss, but it's actually a... Um, it's a weed. I call it Irish moss, but that thing is an absolute, or some people call it star weed or something like that. Um, and, it, and it kills your moss that you have in the top of your um, plant. It takes over. It's just a pain. Yeah, well, the, 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 probably the best thing that I've found so far is I read an article um, a couple of months ago that a guy had written, and I wish I could remember the guy that had written the article because it was really good. But there was a a weed killer. It was a spray-on weed killer. Um, I'm pretty sure the company's name is Organics or maybe that was the name yep. of the weed killer. But it was actually yep. um, a fully organic um, oil extract from pine. And yep. Could be like neem oil or something. Yeah, I don't know what it was, but it actually worked really well. Um, Splasher or something? It was actually called Organics, and it came in like a green bottle, spray bottle. It was about 16 bucks a bottle. And I went through and oh, okay. um, I sprayed a couple of my trees with it. And within a day or two, all the weeds had, you know, fallen over and fallen over and died. But I think my mistake was is once they had fallen over and died, I come through and I plucked all the leaves off like all the dead leaves off the top of the soil surface. But oh, and I, they regrew. All I'd done is just reinvigorated the roots, so I think you need to keep keep the dead leaf on the on the root system until the root yeah. system actually dies. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, actually, I think that neem oil story was a pest, pest thing. That's a pest. Um, but I've actually, I'll let you know a bit of a secret, but people get really angry and defensive about spraying your plants but same as you i was you know because i would spend over half my time instead of working on bonza which is what i absolutely love to do and i hate weeding i would spend more than half my time just controlling weeds um absolute pain so the first experiment believe it or not i grabbed about four plants and i was extremely careful and sprayed the ones with a tall canopy, like there's one behind me here. Yep. And I sprayed the surface with Roundup <clears throat> extremely carefully. But man, I put, I put that video on YouTube and I got a lot of flack from that. People did not like me spraying Roundup at the bottom of my trees. <laughs> um, and I, I copped a lot of flack. But anyway, so then I thought, you know what? It actually worked. There was no damage to the trees because I was very, very careful not to spray a single leaf on the tree or get any drift. Um, but anyway, I thought there's got to be a safer way of doing it. So you know what I did? I, I got some of that slasher um, 
which is a contact spray. Yep. Um, so it doesn't actually go through the, what do you call it, trans or whatever, you know, like a, um, it's not systemic. Yep. So what, <laughs> what I did, because I got so sick of weeds, I sprayed everything with this slasher. All the tops of the pots, obviously not the trees. I tried not to hit leaves on the trees, but some of the trees had low leaves. And I tell you what, I got some of the leaves of the actual trees and the top of the pots. And where I hit the trees, it just burnt off the leaves that I hit. It didn't burn anything else and it killed the weeds. And to be honest, I haven't weed hand weeded for six months and man, I'm not looking back. Yeah. Like that's the funny um, thing about I know. Yeah, it's controversial, like people hate using a spray, but they don't understand if you've got a hundred trees that you have to weed, it takes up your whole time, especially, you know, the, I've got a full-time job as well on vineyards. So it's only for me to come home, relax, work on a tree, do a YouTube video. I don't want to be weeding my trees. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But, you know, as I said, it's, that's the funny thing about YouTube is people hate new things. And, you know, they'll yeah. argue against it and that. And it's like, you know, the older generation these days, you, you know, you go on somewhere, you get your phone out and plug it into the GPS, the address, and you have an older person going, well, I didn't have that back in my day. I still get the Gregory's manual, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, find me away with a book. And it's like, well, why do that? Because there is a newer way now that is easier. It's more accurate, you know, just because yeah, that's better how for the you, environment. That's how you used to do it. Doesn't mean that's how we do yeah. it now. And, you know, you know, people like yourself that are trying these things on your trees, you know, I know for somebody like me, I'm happy for you to try it on your trees. I'll watch the results. Mm. You know, if it yeah, works, well, have it a look, works. You have a look behind me. These have been sprayed probably at least three times each and their growth. And the growth I've had this year has just been crazy. It does not, not affect them at all. Yeah, well, as you said, if it's a contact growth, goes in through yeah. the leaf, yeah. then, you know, spraying spraying the weeds on the top of the pot is not really going to be an issue for the tree. No, and I find the moss goes brown for a few days and then the moss comes back nice and green anyway, so it doesn't kill the moss either. So that's that's the plus. Yeah. <laughs> Because the thing with weeds is it's a losing battle unless you actually kill the root system because you can go around and pull as many weeds out as you want to, but all you're doing is actually just pulling the heads off them and they'll grow back. Yeah, though, it is so hard to pull a weed out your bonsai pot roots and all. They snap off and, like you say, they all regrow. I reckon they're like that by design. They're really weak <laughs> between, the, between the root <laughs> weak and the leaf. Weak on top. Yeah. <laughs> Because they know that if you come through and you pull it off, they've still got that healthy root system and they'll just shoot again. Well, they could be. They could be like that from design, from deer or whatever that eats the tops off and then they regrow. So it's a losing battle if you're hand weeding. It's so hard. Yeah. And how do you guys go down, you know, in a place like Adelaide with things like um, buying bonsai pots and... Um, you know, like soils, fertilizers, do you have to rely on more of your big box stores or do you have any specialty bonsai 
you know, no, stuff we, down there? We do have we do have two. I haven't been to one. I want to go to the one which is called Mugo Bonza or something. That's in Adelaide. Um there's another one called uh there's one on one of the roads in Adelaide, which I go to, I can't remember what the name's called. Bonsai Bonanza or something like that. No, it's not that. It's something else, but I can't remember it right now. But there's two two shops. Um and you can get pots from there, but they generally sell those. Um, it's almost like um, terracotta style bonsai pots, really cheap. Yeah. Um, and they break, you know, so easily. Um, if you, you know, if even if the roots grow in the bottom of a tree, I've had one explode the pot on an olive. I've broken one myself trying to repot because it, the lips come in. Yep. And it's so hard to get rid of the roots of an olive along that lip because the lip curls in. You've got to cut, actually cut the roots off to try and get it out. And I snapped that pot. But the other pots, even even a tree growing normally with its roots can explode the pot. They just seem like really cheap pots. Yeah, because I, I think a lot of people don't understand too is if you buy really cheap pots, if you have very cold winters, they can actually crack the pots as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and... I know, know Nigel Saunders has a lot of trouble. Yeah, um, uh, I think we spoke a little bit about that in the podcast we did with him about, you know, yeah. try, trying to keep pots in one, one piece during winter because they get down to, like, minus 30 there. I mean, that is extreme, though. That is... That's like a blast freezer. That is super cold. Yeah, but I, I do know of some pots that we had imported here in Australia and um, even down in Canberra in the winter, they would just absolutely shatter. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, most of the pots that come into Australia are cheap, you know, Chinese. I call them terracotta pots, but I don't actually know what they are. They, they're sort of halfway in between a clay good pot and a terracotta garden pot that you put out in front of your house. Yep. Um, they're just really cheap, but they're still expensive though. They're still for a decent size one, well over a hundred bucks. Yeah, I, I tell you what though, um, you just reminded me. One of the most entertaining videos I've seen of yours so far is when you were repotting that tree on the car jack and you were getting the pot off with the hammer. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I seen that. I seen that coming before it even happened. <laughs> Yeah, and that was that was one of those peak pots too. But that was that was my fault. I um, it was almost about to come, so I was like, "Oh, I'll just give another hit." I knew the pot was stressing out, about to break. I knew that in my head, and I thought, "Oh, but it's almost out. I'll just give it a couple more hits, and bang!" It just snapped it off. <laughs> oh no, devastating. Um, we've all done stuff like that. I um. I had a pot that my sensei had brought back from Japan. It was a um, tokoname pot. And a um, yep. little white um, shallow glazed pot and oh, absolutely just beautifully made. And I had a, yep. I had that sitting on a Japanese-made turntable. So you've got quality sitting on top of quality. And then I sat the two of them yep. on a really cheap 
Bunnings workbench thing than super, super thin wood, super stingy, flingy legs on it. And one day I just happened to walk past and accidentally kicked one of the legs on the bench and the whole thing just fell apart. Down came the pot, down came the turntable, both both smashed on the ground. I stood there for, oh, man. I stood oh. there for about five minutes looking at him like, what an idiot. <laughs> oh. So you got all that all that money and quality sitting on top of a friggin' Bunnings bloody bench. Oh. <laughs> I've never done that ever since. Oh, that would have been you would have had a real that would have been a heart stopper. Oh, especially when like I kicked the thing and I didn't actually see the the turntable and the the pot go off the table. I just heard the smash and the crash. And st- oh. and straight away I was like, I don't even want to look. I don't want to see how many pieces mm. that pot's in. But luckily for me, the pot only broke into three pieces, and they were large pieces. So yep, I actually, so glue it. yeah. So I glued the pot back together, and I've got. Um, when I first got into bonsai, I had bought my first tree um, from Bunnings, little juniper in a yep. in a little pot, yep. and um, kind of started really getting into it. And my partner had seen how much I was getting into into bonsai so she actually went on the facebook marketplace and found a guy that was local selling bonsai trees and she went out there and picked one out and bought it home and gave it to me for my birthday so um yeah i've actually got that juniper in that little little pot so i've got the tree she got me for my birthday so it's my second ever tree in the pot that my sensei got me from japan when he went over there um, so, you know, there's a lot of sentimental value just in one tree and it's only little, like that juniper will never get yep. much bigger, but I want to keep it kind of much the same as the day I got it. Yeah. So it's so good. Like, um, like you, I have my first bonsai tree I ever got managed to keep it alive. I think because I did it later on in life, like I was 20, I've been doing it 12 years. So it would have been. 39 now would have been uh 27 so i think you have more responsibility at that age so you're able to keep it alive so it's really exciting to have your first tree even if it's crap doesn't matter um it's just exciting to have it yeah i I, i've spoken about it before but i really miss that innocence of when you first got into bonsai and every tree was just phenomenal and fantastic you look at it and just get so much excitement yeah. But, you know, the more you get into bonsai, you start to get a little bit arrogant and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, that tree's not really that great. Yeah, you get <laughs> you get too uh, you get too critical of your own trees as you, you can't just accept it for what it is. You get too critical um, with your own trees, with other people's trees. You know, you get critical of it. You're like, no, I don't like that, don't like that. And you look at what you don't like rather than what you do like. Um, I find that a lot, but I remember my first tree I've ever styled because um, I obviously bought my first one, which was sort of half done. It was a uh, the mountain ash, but then I um, styled a pomegranate, and man, if you could see that thing in a photo, it looked it looked so ugly. 
Like it had this cascading branch in this slow S with a bit of wire and then this silly little top bit on top. It looks so ugly looking back at it now. I don't, I don't think I've got a photo. I think I deleted it. It was that bad. And <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, that, uh, I know that because um, that that first tree that I got from Bunnings, the little juniper, I'd done the same thing. I, you know, trimmed yeah. it all up and put a bit of wire on it, and it just—I uh, tell you what—it looks so bad. And I do have photos of it. I'll ha- I'll have to post them one yeah. day. I'll have to post what it looked like then and what it looks like now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good thing. Trees are very forgiving. If you style something really bad, um, in time you can change it and do what you like to it. And it actually turns out to be a really nice tree. Like one of my first trees that I've got was my best tree now, which is a really big olive that I've got. It's, it's sort of like in a formal type shape. It's just a big tapered trunk with branches and stuff all over it. And I would call that my best tree now. And when I first started, that was my learning tree. You know, I just bought a stump for 30 bucks and literally just started growing branches on it. And, um, you know, that's a good thing. Trees are forgiving. You can style it really bad. And later on, when you learn more, you can come back and fix all your stuff ups. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. It's because I... If you can imagine this, that first juniper that I got and styled, how I had styled it was so bad. It was, <laughs> it kind of come out of the trunk, out of the soil a little bit and had a little bit of movement low down. But as it went up, it kind of had a branch that shot off. And then what would, you know, at the time I should have bought the top up as a new leader and styled it up, but I'd styled it like a T. So it come up and just had like yep. a T. With two bits of foliage <laughs> on each end. <laughs> oh. oh my god, it was, it was so embarrassing. And here I am posting it, it on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, you post it, and you. I mean, luckily, I didn't post it, but um, I showed my mate. I said, "Oh, look at my pomegranate! I stole it on the weekend. What do you think?" And he's like, "Hmm, yeah, yeah, it's interesting." <laughs> <laughs> when you get those pictures. and you know when someone yeah you know when someone tells you something's interesting it means they don't like it if they say it's interesting that means they don't like it but well you know good effort <laughs> well in the world of bonsai it's usually you show them a tree and they go oh yeah i like the pot yeah and then you're <laughs> like mm, okay you like the pot okay <laughs> The yeah. One thing what I about a tree? Do. I think, yeah, I think it's more about the tree. So if you like in the pot, obviously you do not like the tree. <laughs> yeah, that that's like the um, the insult in bonsai. If somebody tells you they like the pot, yeah, yeah, they don't like the tree. Well, they say, oh, yeah, well, they just say, oh yeah, that's a nice tree, and then they don't look at it again, and they you know move on. That's a bit of an insult, but. Luckily for me, you know, no one sees my trees too much because I live on live on my own out in the desert working in the shed. But um, it's hard for me to try and show a tree or do anything like that. 
Yeah, that, that's where you're lucky that you've got YouTube because, um, you know, that opens up the doors for you to show your trees to everybody else and, you know, inspire a lot of people because I see it time and time again. Um, you know, and I spoke to Nigel about this when I did his podcast. I said, I find it really funny that, you know, out there you've got all these different YouTube channels for bonsai and you've got um, all these channels that really go into a lot of technical aspects of bonsai, like Bonsai Marai, ASAN, you know, you've got us with Bonsai N, um, you know, there's a few other channels out there that do more of that in-depth information stuff. And then you've got these other channels out there like yourself, Aussie Bonsai Bloke, and um, Nigel Saunders, Heron's Bonsai, all those kind of things. And they're the channels that take off because, you know, people can um, relate to the work that's been done. They can relate to the material because not everybody out there wants to spend their time doing these really intricate, you know, crazy things, you know, that some of these big um, professionals out there do. Like you're talking... 12 to 14 hours of wiring on a tree. I mean, yeah, yeah. At some point, it it's not a hobby, but a profession. You know, at that stage, and that doesn't yeah. really and it, doesn't speak yeah, to and people. A lot of people that yeah, a lot of people that do watch are beginners. They want to see how do I make a trunk, make the branches, and then start filling it out into the ramification. They don't want to see a $20,000 unobtainable tree that, you know, most of us are never going to buy $20,000 for a, you know, one of those American collected junipers or whatever. Um, it's, it's out of most people's league, I guess you could say. Yeah. No, it, it's good to have those channels that, you know, reach out to those kinds of people. And as I said, they're the channels that are gaining success and, you know, time and time again, I've seen it when you see posts in Facebook groups where people go, oh, suggest a YouTube channel. And all the time I see Aussie Bonsai Bloke, Nigel Saunders and Heron's Bonsai. They're the ones that yep. I see yep. more often than even Bonsai Marai, ASAN, you know, things like those getting um, getting promoted. So, I mean, it's... Yeah, I think I just do it back. Yeah, that's it. You know, people want to sit down and they want to see relatable material. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that's why we kind of, we've tested the waters a few times on doing some really technical, in-depth stuff. And then we'll do some, like, beginning material. You know, some of our, well, one of our videos, I think it's, it's one of my Juniper ones. It's uh, up to about 90,000 views. Um Wow, that's good. That's really good. And that's that's literally just me standing in front of the camera talking about different aspects of juniper bonsai, like where to position them, yep. how to water them, how to fertilize them. I don't work on a single tree in that video. Um, yep. And then, you know, some of our other more popular videos, uh, we've got a video with, where Andrew started some showing trees from just saplings showed the first steps of wiring, yep. how to let them grow, what the next steps would be. Um, you know, so all that kind of stuff is really what reaches people out there. Yeah, yeah. People want to know the basics. That don't, you know, most people are starting off. They want the basics. 
Well, that's it, yeah. If somebody's on YouTube searching for a video, nine times out of ten, they're looking for instruction. Yeah, yeah. And also, like, with my channel, I I don't get into this complicated, you know, the roots bifurcate in the soil and the microbiomes, you know, yep. borrow, whatever, do this and that. And I don't get into that bifurcate and this and that and all that technical stuff. I just keep it simple. The roots divide, you know. Yep. Keep it simple. <laughs> but, I mean... How how long have you been doing the YouTube stuff now for? Um, I don't even know. I haven't looked back, but I think three years, maybe four. But um, I basically started because there was almost no YouTube channels. Um, I think there was. Uh, I used to watch that Bonsai Illigan, which was an awesome channel. Really missed that bloke. He died. Ended up dying of cancer, but um. That was a really cool channel. Um, Orlando Bonsai, um, Elwood Bonsai, some of those. But anyway, there wasn't many and there was zero Australian um, channels. And then I thought, you know what? Um, I can't sit here and talk about there not being an Australian channel if I'm not doing one myself. So I started. But, man, that first video I did, I was shaking, my hands were shaking. I was so nervous and man, it was like, it was like the first day of school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, cause I, I remember when you first come onto the, the YouTube scene, um, I think you were kind of sitting on, it was like a back porch or something. Uh, yeah. I know you used to have like a brick wall. Beside yeah, that would have been it. Yeah, that would have been at the halfway house. I call that the halfway house. So I did a few back at the old house. Um, then we had a halfway house for, I call it the halfway house, which is normally referred to as a prison house coming out of prison. But I call it the halfway house anyway, um, while we were looking for a new property because we sold the old house because we had those barrels next to us. Um, yeah. Lived at the halfway house for about 10 months. And then we found this property out here where I've got, 30 acres and I can do what I like. Um, and it's just beautiful idea. But yeah, that was the halfway house, that video. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that was about around the time when I started watching. Um, I, I think the, I think the thing that really captivated me when I started watching your videos back then was the really easygoing nature of them and, you know, yep. kind of just, having a Aussie larrikin as the presenter and you know, it's not, yeah. not quite so serious and it's a little bit more of a loose environment than everybody being so uptight and you know. Yeah. From the start, I didn't want to do a channel because I thought about this channel for probably two years before I did my first video. Like I just hated being on camera. I hated listening to my own voice i don't know if you get that problem but when i first started editing listening to my own voice was like chalk on a chalkboard it, it was <laughs> just so bad it was embarrassing and then the wife would overhear the computer and just start laughing at me it was really embarrassing for a while just getting used to listening to your own voice and all that sort of stuff um yeah super embarrassing but you know slowly moved on and 
things are a lot easier now doing a video. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to drink some beers, have some fun because, you know, for most people at home, bonsai is a hobby that they do on the weekend, having a few beers and having some fun. So I thought I would do that as a video. So as you know, most of my videos do have a beer in them or a port or a wine or whatever I'm drinking at the time. So that is, you know, how I started my channel. Well, at the start, no, at the start, I was a bit more nervous and whatever, but within a few months, I started drinking a few beers and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, and there's been um, quite a few funny moments. Uh, I remember the time you were working on a juniper and you were showing the spider web down there and you scared the shit out of everybody. <laughs> yeah, the spider hiding in there. Um, the fun, the most fun ones I have are my, I've started doing, I think I skipped a year, but I've done two Australia Day videos where I start drinking in the morning, do a barbie, go out and about the property, work on a tree. Then last time I think I pulled out a box on with the sun in the old ute. Um, and they are, they are really great lot of fun to make those Australia Day videos. Really good lot of fun. Yeah, I think I watched the, uh, you did one last year. Um, yeah, yep. I think you were working on a bottle brush, weren't you? Was it a bottle brush? Uh, yeah, yeah. That was that was when I first moved in. And the place was a complete, absolute desert. But it was fun. Yeah, you know, we went up and had a look at sheep and all sorts of stuff and cooked a barbie because the in-laws come over on Australia Day. Yep. Um, so I cooked a barbie for them. They were inside. I'm trying to be quiet on my video, and I was cooking barbie and showing barbie and stuff. And luckily, they left early so that I could let loose in the afternoon. But I'd I'd worked on the tree early and had almost too many beers first thing, and cooking the barbie and talking to the in-laws. It was pretty hard to keep things, you know, under control. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then once they left after lunch, you know. Things went pretty crazy. It was good. Yeah, no, it's um, it's always good to you know have a couple of drinks and just let loose. And um, I remember a while back, we've got to do it again. We did um, a podcast called Beers and Bonsai. And, yeah, uh, I've heard that one. Yeah, yeah. Basically, we just had two microphones sitting in the middle of the table, and we had myself, um, Ashley Brown from Bonsai World. Um, Dave McEwen, uh, Andrew Edge, uh, Peter Peter Jensen. We all just sat around and we yep. just talked about bonsai. And, yeah, it was such a good time, just you know, not taking anything real seriously and just all having a couple of drinks. And I'd like to yeah, take you know, pay someone out, take the you know, give them a bit of a dig in the ribs. It's good fun. Yeah, I, I think we actually did a fair bit of that in that podcast. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> all, all, all talking trash about each other's trees. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm super jealous of you being in contact with so many good people. Like where I live, YouTube's it, you know. I've got hour and a quarter drive to the Bonsai Club in Adelaide if I want to go, but it's an hour and a quarter each way, which is an hour and a half, and the meetings only go for an hour and a half, two hours. So it's, it would be really hard just to go there for two hours. And sometimes they have this whole night, you drive there. I mean, I haven't done it, but, and then they talk about a rock 
you know, I'm not going to drive three hours to hear about a rock. <laughs> it's, it's kind of like driving all the way up to the Northern Territory to see a rock. Yeah, or they have a lot of times they have a friggin' ficus, and I don't know what it is about me. I think you're the same. You don't like me either, but I hate. I don't know why I hate them. I think it's because they burn in the summer and they get frosted in the winter. But I hate ficus. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a fan of them. We've got. I've got two here in the garden. I've got one that I bought for myself, which I literally yep. only bought for the root base on it and I'm building the top of the tree back up, but it's a Benjaminer. So it's got those really small thin leaves on it rather than, you know, you get like the, the Port Jackson yeah. figs that get those massive, huge leaves on them and that. Yeah. Which is your, which is your classic, you know, Bunnings Port Jackson fig. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, then my partner, she's actually got, um, a fig as well, but she's got a tiger bark. Um, Oh yeah. Yep. But it's got a ton of work. We we put it into the bonsai pot this year. Um, but it's got a really nice base on it. But they've let the leader grow like really tall and it's just dead straight and all the foliage is up on the top. So we've been kind of tip yep. pruning, pushing back buds back, letting them grow. And then we've got to prune, push back. We've got to try and push the tree all the way back down to the bottom because um, yep. tiger barks, don't really take real well to actually chopping without any foliage below the chop. Oh, they don't back bud. Yeah, so we kind of got to spend the time chopping, pushing, chopping, pushing. But it'll be a nice little tree. But yeah, as you say, I've never been, I've never been a fan of the the figs. And it's funny because I knew it was going to happen, but. I've spoke about it before on the podcast where I say, yeah, not really a fan of figs, never, you know, kind of found a love for them. You get a lot of flack. Oh, I bought one fig and posted a photo of it and everybody's like, oh, I thought you didn't like figs. <laughs> yeah, I know. A lot of people get so offended when I say I don't like figs because they like figs and each to their own. If you like figs, grow figs, you know. If you're happy with figs, grow them. That's fine, but I just don't get along with them. I just... I don't know, maybe I should get one and maybe it'll grow on me. But at the moment, I don't know. I think it's because every time you go to a sale, there's a whole table full of figs with nothing else on it. Yeah. And, I mean, <laughs> people don't really put a lot of effort into figs because all they do is swell at the base and then they just let the top grow out of control and then they've got a, you know, a bonsai. Um, yeah. You know, it's just one of those trees and... I've always seen them as, you know, and people are probably going to get the shits about this, but I've always seen them as a beginner tree, you know? Yeah, me too. Not much work goes into them. They're really hardy. They shoot left, right, and center, and they're super hard to kill. And, you know, I, I had this bloke that was following me around everywhere on Facebook. No matter what group I would post in, he would follow me around and he would just say, ah, oh, you're full of shit and your crap and all this other yeah. stuff. He, he'd write, I swear to God, he's already written a, a book on me, you know, six, <laughs> chapters, six chapters long. And, you know, one day... You got your, you got your first stalker. Oh, mate, I'll tell you what, it's funny to read, like, some of the stuff that he writes and that. And um, yeah. one day he got the shits with me because um, I'd, I'd made a video about how indoor bonsai is not bonsai. 
you know, talking about. Yeah, I heard you talk about that. Yeah, to that new, I think to the New Zealand guy you talked about it. Oh, yeah, on the podcast, but I actually did a video on our YouTube channel, a full video about it. Oh, yeah, okay. And yep. in the video, I, I had said that, you know, growing bonsai indoors is not actually doing bonsai. It's barely keeping a tree alive. Yeah, oh, yeah, I agree. I um, Yeah, I lit his fuse with that one. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, got, though. Yeah, he was going on about, oh, you can keep figs indoors and that. And I was like, yeah, but, you know, they're just a beginner tree. And, <laughs> and then, oh, man, that lit the fuse mm. again. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I have seen some really good refined figs. Don't get me wrong. There are some really good ones. Um, but also what I was going to say, fortunately, most people that comment on videos, especially the regulars, are so nice, you know, always positive, positive, positive. Um, a lot of the comments you get on YouTube are really positive. Fortunately, there's only a few that put up really bad comments and you can live with a few. <laughs> Oh yeah, I, it, it doesn't bother me the slightest, you know. I I walk out mm. into my nursery, I look at my trees, and I'm proud of what I've done. And you know, I've got quality trees sitting out there. And you know, I yeah, you know, I a lot of the time I work with a lot of professionals, and you know, none of them you know ever have a bad thing to say. So yeah, you got, you got a really good base because you got the professionals. You got a really good base to show you how to design and whatever. Me on my own, I struggle, but um, yeah, one thing I do with those people is I'm like, okay, no worries, I accept your comment, but can you email me a couple of pictures of your trees? And they never do. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Not going to show you my work, no way. <laughs> yeah, because there's a big crap, you know that that have some crap trees in the home, but they're mouthing off on the computer because it's easy to mouth off on the computer. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, with a skin full of rum or whatever they've got, yeah. and they'd be mouthing off on the computer and they might not even have a bonsai yet. I don't know. Yeah, and, you know, one thing that I've, I've found over the years is to look at everybody's tree and appreciate it for something. You know, yeah. you can always you can always look at somebody's tree. Even somebody, you know, with a really young tree, you can find something and appreciate it. Um, and yep. we've just actually launched on our website. We've now got a submission page. We're going to be doing a new series on YouTube, which is going to be a bonsai critique. So we're going to have people yep. email. Oh, yeah, that'd in, be cool. Yeah, we're going to have people email in pictures of their trees. And rather than sit there and talk shit about their trees, you're going to say, look, yep. what you've got to work with here, point out all the good features about their tree, whether that might be, you know, look, you've got a really good root base here, so I would take advantage of that. Maybe turn it this way so, you know, you've got a compressed root and an elongating root and then you can have a slanting tree or, you know, whether they've got nice first branching, you know, we can really zone in on the features of their tree and you know empower them and give them the tools to move forward with that tree rather than the general they post the photo of the tree on facebook and everybody goes oh throw it in the bin it's crap yeah and you know it's sad how everyone does that they just you know throw it in the bin um at the very least they could plant it in the ground and let it fatten up but (laughs) 
Um, yeah, it seems to be the stock comment. You can find you can find positive in any tree, really. Um, whether, yeah, you can. Yeah. You know whether that tree's you know six foot tall and you have to cut it back down to one or two foot, there's still a usable part of that tree. So there's no yeah, use saying, yep. oh, you know, that tree's crap, you can't use any of that. Um, you know, you're better off pointing out, well, you know, your Tashiagari is really nice, you know, your area between your Nabari and your first branch, that's gold. So cut it off, grow some new shoots, um, you know, start from there. Maybe it could go in this type of pot. So, you know, we're really hoping that if we can get a lot of submissions for that, you know, we can get everybody talking positive learning how to, you know, look at a tree and find the features rather than look at a tree and find the faults. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really... Yeah, well, I started um, on... I was I used to be on, you know, bonsai forums, but I just find that you get five or six people, which are the main contributors to the forum, that just always dominate, take over find the negative in everything. So it's just the forums are just too hard. So I've backed off of the forums. I don't go on forums anymore. Um, but it'd be really great to see positive, you know, your positive channel on critiques. It'd be really good. Yeah, because I think people hear the word critique too and it scares them a little bit. Um, yeah. I know, I know I've got a really good mate who comes to my nursery all the time. He started off as a client that used to come and, you know, buy wire and pots and stuff. And, you know, over time we've become pretty good friends. And, um, you know, he had a motorbike accident a few years ago and he ended up in a coma. Um, and then, you know, one of the side effects of coming out of that coma is now he's really self-aware and self-conscious about kind of everything. And... Um, yep one of the things that has got him through is bonsai and his bonsai trees. And, yep. you know, that's one thing that kind of keeps him sane. You know, he goes out every day and he finds relaxation and watering and um, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, he's super scared to show his trees to anybody because he doesn't want to get, you know, that criticism. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think, you know, I don't think bonsai should be about criticism so much as it should be about, you know, you know what, that's a really nice tree, you know, you've got a really nice base, this, that, and that, rather than pointing out all the, the negatives, point out all the positives, mm. you know, there's, there's got to be a balance. Yeah, I, I agree because, <laughs> you know, your trees are like your children. So if um, someone pays them out, that, that hurts, you know, especially if they don't give you any compliments in the middle of it all. It really does it's personal it's not just oh yeah i don't like that item that you own or that model of car you know it's personal when they pay out a tree it's very hard to give yourself uh an insulation layer to the criticism it is really hard yeah and especially you know when you put yourself out there like you do on youtube and you know same with nigel and peter chan from heron's bonsai and you know all these people putting themselves out there and, you know, they get a lot of people, you know, their work's always better. Yeah, yep. But as you said, they, they, yeah, they never Yeah, but fortunately, yeah, they never follow it up. But fortunately, you know, I mean, I think most channels are the same on Bonsai. We don't 
get the negativity too much. Most people are really good. And, you know, I, I pretty well just keep doing it for the positive comments and the feedback that I get on the channel. Otherwise I would stop, but I really love reading the comments because most people are really, really nice. You know, I've even had some really nice emails sent to me that would almost make you tear up, you know, um, really good. Like, most people are actually really good on the on the bonsai. Not, you know, you look at YouTube in general. A lot of comments are bad, but in the bonsai area, a lot of comments are really really good. Yeah, and it's like um, you know when you go to bonsai shows, uh, bonsai club meetings, workshops, um, any kind of event really. You never, you know, all the people there are so friendly and. Um, mm. Yep. You know, I when I first got into bonsai, I went to a, a workshop. I went there by myself, knew absolutely nobody, um, walked in with a little tree, you know, little cheapy tool set, you know, basically bottom of the barrel, yeah. you know. and I've not, still got my cheap tool set. Yeah, I've still got my cheapy scissors laying around somewhere. The, the the head broke off my branch cutters though, so I don't have them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um yeah, I just remember walking into that workshop and everybody being so welcoming with open arms, um you know, and sitting down helping me with my tree and um it's actually funny, one of the first people I met at that workshop was Andrew Edge. <laughs> wow, yeah. Good person yeah. to meet. Yeah, so and uh I had a I had a little black pine and, you know, he sat down and he helped me wire it and, you know, said, oh, you know, you should do this and this is kind of the plan for the next year. And um, and it was actually funny because at that time I had a I had an SS Commodore and that morning I'd actually dropped the gearbox out of it, um, serviced it, put it all back together and then had to drive an hour and a half to the workshop and... I was probably two or three hours late and the workshop was getting, wow. it was getting a bit long in the tooth. And when I got there, Andrew was like, Oh, don't worry about it, mate. Come sit down. You know, we'll work on the tree, you know? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was kind of my welcoming into bonsai and it's just been a positive experience ever since. Yeah. I mean, they're good. I think cause everyone has a common interest, obviously. Um, yeah. Super friendly. Um, just love the community. But unfortunately for me, clubs just too far away. And, you know, like I said, I don't want to go there and listen to them talk about rocks. Suaseki? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no interest in that at all. I mean, I'm interested in the trees, not the rocks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's a lot like me. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, we've done about an hour and 40 minutes. So. Wow, yeah, that went quick. I'm about yeah. uh, three, nearly three beers down. <laughs> and plenty more to go this afternoon, I reckon. Yeah, this afternoon could be good. I might, you know, might sit down and make another video. Crack the camera out and keep the ball rolling. Yeah, yeah, no, it should be good. I'm going to go and put all my bonsai benches back up because we've uh, only just moved to this property, so... Yeah, I heard your last property you had problems you had to move back out or something. Yeah, we, because um, the business 
when we first started it, it took off and it did really well. And within a year, we were able to do our first kind of major upgrade to the business, which was moving to a bigger property. Um, yep. And the issue is, is when, you know, when we first started the business, we had the choice of either going full in and investing in a business or investing in a buying our own home. So we thought, well, we'll go with yep. the business. If the business doesn't work, we can always buy a home further on down the track. So we invested in the business. Um, and then our first major upgrade was renting another property, but it was a bigger property. It was 13 yep. acres. Um, quite yep. expensive. Every, yeah, quite expensive every week for rent, blah, blah, blah. And yep. when we went through all the rigmarole, you know, we spoke to the owner, said, look, this is our plans, bonsai nursery, blah, blah, blah. They were like, oh, yeah, we love the idea. It's an investment property. And we said, look, we would probably be around for about 10 years if you're looking for a lease that long until we can, you know, really establish and whatnot. Um, they were like, yeah, yeah. So we went through, we signed um, signed the lease and everything. Um, and then our first job was to... Yep kind of build the nursery so we said look we've got to put up some of these fences um got to put down about 40 tons of gravel um put up all these benches blah blah blah, signage stuff like that they came in they looked they agreed to everything and they said look we want this color gravel we want it boxed in we want this we want that they wanted us to do extra gravel and what we wanted to do um so we just kind of agreed and we went well if it's going to keep the owners happy we'll do it um, and then basically as soon as all the work was done, they just turned nasty. And they were like, oh, cease really trading, um, you know, don't do this, don't do that. And then they started creating all these dramas and until it got to the point where the real estate that we were with actually didn't want to deal with them anymore and got rid of the owners. They dropped the owners from the real estate. And then, oh, wow. And then, yeah, just a big shit fight in tune and... Um, basically, yeah, that would suck because you you poured all that money into the gravel and all that stuff, getting it all ready, and then it's for nothing. That would absolutely suck. Well, it it actually nearly blew the head off the business. We almost had to shut down because yeah, we had spent so much money on building a big, beautiful nursery for everyone to come and visit. Because not only did we do the nursery, but there was a twenty by nine shed on the property. We put hardwood yeah. flooring down in the shed, covered the walls with black material so it didn't look like a shed, um, put up like plasterboard, wa plasterboard walls, all that kind of stuff, and yeah, had to basically leave it all behind, find a new property. Oh, and, that's sad. That's really now, sad. Yeah, now as we sit, we're basically back to square one, so. Yeah, but you own this prop, or you're buying this property that you're at now, or you're renting? No, I'm renting still. Oh, yeah, but these people are a lot better, I guess. Yeah, the guy that owns this property is actually a developer, so he's pretty cool. <laughs> All right, cool. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, good, to, good to see you survived because it'd be sad, you know. Australian bonsais, you know, I mean, East Coast is a lot more developed than where I am. Um, South Australia is like in, a, in an island of bonsai where... I don't know. We don't seem to progress. We still have sticks in pots. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but, um, yeah, so 
we're kind of getting back on our feet now here and um you know the good thing is is we've got you know a lot of support behind us here with the australian bonsai community and um you know we're doing more and more things now like we um we just launched a premium blog so it only costs people yep. um five bucks a month to subscribe and every week i actually do like a in-depth article on you know a certain topic within bonsai um yeah so you know last week i did um the two stages of bonsai which is development development and refinement and basically went through all the techniques for development and how they change when we move into refinement, you know, things like soil substrates, how they change, techniques, how we root prune and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, people generally jump behind that. And then, you know, obviously, like, you'd know with the monetization on YouTube, um, you know, always trying to grind and, you know. Yeah, it's great. It's great to see someone going so hard uh with bonsai you're doing a great job with the podcast with everything it's really good to see yeah now we've got the um we've got the masterclass series so we've got online bonsai courses now um yep and it was yeah it was a real surprise when we launched that because you know i kind of approached andrew and said look you know all the stuff that i've learned personally underneath him um you know i know he's a really good teacher and the amount of knowledge that he has and, you know, the value that I've gotten from learning from him um, for a couple of years now. Um, I said to him, look, i got this idea, want to launch an online series, and rather than having me teach the courses, I'd rather have you be the teacher and have me behind the scenes taking care of, like, the, the camera equipment and audio and all that kind of stuff. And, um, yeah. yeah, we launched that and we got students from, um, we've got students in Poland, we've got students in <laughs> Mexico, um, wow. Portugal, we've got students there. Yeah, well, there's a lot of people thirsty for knowledge on bonsai, isn't there? Yeah, and I think um, it all just comes down to how it gets delivered. Yep. Um, like you said, you know, there's there's a lot of education out there, but a lot of it kind of goes over people's heads a little bit where we try to keep it in a format that, um, you know, it's kind of down on the beginner level. We speak their language. You know, we draw diagrams on the whiteboard. We have live trees that we work on. Um, and, yep. you know, with the courses that we run, they can actually ask questions live and get them answered instantly yeah. um yep so yeah the the support behind that's been going really well so you know even though we took a massive blow we're going to come back twice as hard yeah well it only makes you stronger doesn't it well that's it you know we won't make the same mistakes again yeah <laughs> yep <laughs> And, you know, in this new place that we've got here, um, you know, I'm currently in my office here at the moment and then through the door that's behind me there, um, that goes through into the YouTube studio that's set up permanently now. So all the cameras are in there set up, yep. the lighting. Um, I did my first video in there this week. So I can't wait to release wow. that. And you... 
I don't know. I find it hard because I'm a pretty simple person. I find it really hard to learn all the computer programs and AdSense account and YouTube account, all that stuff. But you come from a computer background, don't you? So you can do that a lot easier than what I can. Yeah, so yeah. We, we use some pretty high-end equipment, you know, when we record all the lavalier microphones. Um, we've got a couple yeah. of Canon M50 cameras. Um, yep. You know, when we do our, our live masterclasses, we've got like a big switchboard, which switches all the camera yep. audio. We can show slideshows, pre-recorded videos, all that kind of stuff. Um, but, yeah, you know, you don't... You know, like you've seen with your channel, you don't have to be super technical to, you know, get a following and succeed. Yeah, I mean, it makes the finished product better if you are super technical. But for me, you know, my only access is a Samsung S20 and me and the family don't have a lot of money, so I can't go out and spend even money. So this is it, you know, Samsung S20 YouTube channel. <laughs> But I mean, I tell you what, we with in today's day and age with the the phones, um, they're so high quality. Um, yeah, they are pretty good. I mean, the sound probably lacks, but I, I do want to get one of those. What do you call it, lev leveliers or whatever? Yeah, it's called. lavalier microphones. Yep. Yeah, lavalier. I want. I do want to get one of those. At the moment, I pretty well just use speaker on the phone or an um, earbud, but. But you know they have their limits. Yep. Yeah, yeah. no, it's it's funny. The first thing that I learned uh, in video production is people can always forgive poor video quality, but they can never forgive yep. poor audio quality. So yeah, I agree. Yeah, that was one of the first things that I invested in. Um, we got a couple of Zoom lavalier microphones. Um, you know, I find them to be really good. They're made in Japan. Um, yep. Super high quality, and they're not that expensive. I think we paid around two hundred and sixty dollars each for our our lab mics. Um, yeah, it's not bad. I mean, my channel has earned a thousand dollars now. So since yep. I monetized a few months ago, I think for no, been nearly six months ago. But I've got a grand now, so maybe I could reinvest. Yeah, so that that's a good thing about monetization as well is you can earn money, invest it back in the channel, you know, obviously increase your capabilities of filming and editing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, make it a bit better for the viewer. Yeah, and I mean, any time that you want to get in contact and ask questions or, you know, feel free to do so because I'm happy to help other people out there that are, you know, supporting the cause. You know, I'd love to see more people out there pick up a phone and just start filming them working on their trees, you know. It'd be great that, you know, that'd be great. Like, um, you know, obviously I'll come into hurdles because I'm pretty, like I say, a pretty simple bloke. But, um, yeah, like if more people could start filming in Australia, like I'm sure there's some people with some great trees in their shed or, you know, not in their shed outside, but, you know, like me working in their shed, yep. don't go to clubs and stuff. It would be great to see them, you know, start putting the, putting some product out there, some YouTube channels. 
Yeah, and the and the more knowledge that's getting out there, and the more techniques, and you know, you can you can take advice from one person, and you know, kind of mold that with the advice from another person, and you know, create new techniques and new styles, and you know, all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Well, I think being out here on the desert, you know, in the middle of nowhere where I am, it's actually shielded me from a lot of the club, you know, club, everything's left, right, back branch, left, right, back branch, all the way up the tree in a spiral and wire them all down. And you've got, I call it a ladder tree. Um, and you've just got a ladder tree all the way up, no upward branches at all. But for me, I love the Australian natives, how they've got the elegant, sort of style with the upward branches and just lately, I don't know if you've seen a few of my latest videos, I've started playing around with what I call the Mali style yep. or Aussie style, um, where you've got separated layers, all upward branches, like what the Mallies and the gums grow like, you know, in the countryside. And I've just started experiment, experimenting with that. And I'm just loving it because I started out doing the ladder trees. Um, you know, left, right, back branch. But now I'm just letting branches grow where they want and just guide wiring them in place and trying to make something a bit more natural. And so far it's been great fun. Not not sure what people think about it, but mainly it's positive. Um, it's good fun. Yeah, well, especially for those people overseas, they probably haven't seen that kind of style before, you know, the especially the people in America, they see a lot of the trees that grow in their mountains and stuff. And like you said, they, they suffer a lot of snow load over there where we, we don't really get that here in Australia. We don't get a lot of snow. Um, you know, we, no. we do in some of the, the higher alpine regions, but, you know, for likes of you and I and people up in Queensland and all that, we don't get trees that have that snow load, so we don't often see a tree with those downward, you know, downward growing branches. We see all our trees with those out and up. Yeah, you know. out up and, and quite tall for the size of their trunk. We don't have these massive fat trunks compared to the height. We do get big trunks, but the tree's super tall as well, you know. Like, we don't get those you know, short squat trees. We get nice, tall, elegant trees. And we can see a lot of the branch structure in our trees too because they just have these little puffs of foliage on top of, you know, I think someone said once it's like a parachute with the branches and then you have this little puff of foliage on top. So we can see a lot of the branch structure in our natives because there's not a lot of, um, I guess, foliage on the tree compared to how many branches you have. Yeah, no, that's it. And I think um, when you first did that Mali style on one of your bottle brushes in one of your videos, you were showing a tree yep. out the back of your property and you kind of described it as having multiple apexes, you know, all yeah. over the tree. So, so rather yeah, it's than like just having, having... Yeah, instead of just having branch and branch and branch and branch, you're kind of building apex, 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 apex kind of... Yeah, yeah. I, I, I probably describe it as it's like having three trees all put together with three different heights of canopy in each tree. It's, it's like a fairly complex structure, but pretty easy to do once you adjust your mind 
to doing it differently. I found the hardest thing, once you learn everything to do with the ladder tree and all those rules, I find it even harder to relearn not to worry about the rules and then start developing something completely different. It is so hard to retrain your brain not to think about the rules at all. That's the hardest thing. If, I'd ne- if I was never taught the rules to start with, I think I would have been better off. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, we always teach people to, you know, start off with the rules because it gives you a, a base of, I think it makes makes it easier for beginners to start off in bonsai because when they sit down and look at a tree, they're not so lost. They can at least follow yeah, the guideline, yep. which is yep. which is what I like to call them. I like to call them guidelines rather than rules because you don't yeah. ha- you don't have to do them because I mean you no, look, you no. look at the trees that are sitting behind you right now, which our viewers won't be able to see them because you know we're just audio here, but you know yeah, they're yep. they're there's nothing wrong with them. You know they're classified as bonsai, mm. but they're not exactly following the guidelines of bonsai, but if you're a beginner and you've got raw stock sitting in front of you and you go, oh, I don't know what to do. It's hard, yeah. At least you can look back on the guidelines and say, okay, well, this is how I choose a base. I find the widest and then I try and find the best line and find the happy ground between widest base, best line. You know, I don't come out vertical out of the soil. I kind of come out on a bit of an angle. You know, I kind of want my first branch to be coming off, you know, a bend rather than on the inside of a bend. I want it on the outside. And then it makes it easier to build a tree. But then once you have done a few trees, then you can start actually stepping outside of the box and experimenting and, um, you know, doing all these different types of bonsai. Yeah, yeah. It's very, yeah. I agree totally. Like you do, I think you do need to learn those guidelines and it's the quickest way to make something that looks like a bonsai is by following the guidelines. And then when you make that next step, it's very hard to retrain yourself to go that one step further. That one step further just seems so hard. Yeah, because every time you sit down in front of a tree and you've learnt the guidelines, all you see is the guidelines and you don't know you don't have another set of guidelines to follow to move away from it. So you always kind of come back to your comfort zone and, you know, there kind of is good and bad to the guidelines because, you know, as you say, if you get so used to them, you get stuck in that rut because you know that if you do what you know, you're going to create a good tree every time. But maybe if you... Maybe if you step away from those guidelines and try something new, you'll create a great tree. Yeah, definitely. Like this one tree, no one can see it, but this one tree over here, if I was to style it using rules, almost that whole tree would be chopped back to a trunk because there is no rules on that tree. It's just a crazy, um, you know, crazy tree. And if anyone wants to look at it, they can look at my YouTube channel and see it Mally style. But um, my first trees, for the first, I would say, nine years, were done in that traditional rule, left, right, back, left, right, back. And as I've developed, they do all look very similar. And it's only in the last few years that I've been experimenting that 
I'm actually getting almost very excited about um, how my new trees are starting to look because I've just gone something completely different, just changed it all up. Yeah, well, it's it's funny you always hear, um, you know, Australian natives, they should be up and out kind of thing. I, I even, I took a tea tree and broke the rules with that and when I bought it, I took it out of the pot, turned it completely upside down, slip potted it back in the pot with a cutout, so I basically made it a cascade and yep. made a cascading tea tree. Like, you'll, ne- you'll never see see one of them in your life. It breaks every rule of Australian <laughs> native bonsai, but I mean, I tell you what, it is a cool looking tree. Yep. I want to break the rules even further and use one of your traditional Japanese tree to make an Australian style tree. I want to, yeah, break the rules to try that. Um, I just got to find the right species to do it on, but I reckon that'd be fun. Try and do an Australian tree with a Japanese tree. I reckon I reckon a black pine would adapt really well to that. Yep. Because you'd be able to. I mean, they just want to grow up. I don't know if you've yeah, ever had a yep. black pine, but you could you could literally turn it on its side and just lay the tree down, and the foliage will turn and just go whoop, straight back up. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Funny story. I've only got one pine which is a japanese red pine and no junipers now um i've gone to all broadleaf evergreen and um deciduous which aren't pines which i don't know why i just started going that way and haven't looked back well i think i think the great thing about um natives and stuff is is they grow so fast and so rapidly you can create a tree from nothing to the show bench in two years. Yeah, they they just grow crazy. Like this one behind me is still in development, but I've only been doing that style on that tree for probably two years. Um, and before then, it was just a trunk. And I think another two years, and it would it'll be a really believable Mallee style tree. It'd be really cool to look i'm really excited about you know seeing how it looks in another couple of years yeah that's uh that that was the thing that got me hooked on natives straight away was when i first started working with them and just seeing how quick that they developed and you know you cut it back and then it just shoots from every which way and um you know i i used to have a kunzia here that i've just sold to a good friend of mine um and that thing would just, I've never seen a tree ever do what this Kunzia would do, but it would shoot every length of the branch and then every length of the next branch, it would shoot the whole tree, just back buds on it everywhere. <laughs> yeah. You could do whatever you wanted wow. with that tree because it just had buds everywhere. Yep. And it got to the point where Yo, I was I just think- like, I've got to get rid of this tree because it's just too much work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, believe it or not, believe it or not, that's why I got rid of my juniper. I just got so because I had some like for YouTube, they're the best. They get the most views. Um, obviously, you'll earn the most money because you get the most views. But I got so sick of the tedious work on the top of all the pads that I decided, you know what, I can work on four 
other trees in the time it would take me to work on this one juniper. So I've sold them off and have gone for other trees. <laughs> yeah. No, I, uh, I get that. I just, um, the next video I've got coming out on YouTube is actually a juniper that I had purchased off Andrew. Um, yep. One day I was walking around his garden and he had this, had this big juniper up in the corner. Um, yep. Really, really old juniper, big, thick trunk on it and that. And I looked at it and I was like, oh, it was really just super overgrown. Hadn't, hadn't ever been touched in terms of bonsai work. I said to him, what are you doing that? You want to sell it to me? And he goes, you can't do nothing with that. He said, that's me cuttings tree. He said, that's the mother tree <laughs> that I use for me cuttings. He said, I've never, never, never touched it for bonsai. It's, you know, it's just grown how it's grown. You won't be able to do nothing, nothing with that. I said, well, if you can't do nothing with it, you want to sell it to me? And he goes, oh, yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll sell it to you for a green note if you want it. So... Pulled a hundred bucks yep. out of my pocket. There you go. Took it home, and that—that's the—that's the video I've just. That's the next one that I'm going to release, and it took me. Oh yeah, I'll take a look. It took me a whole day to work on that tree. Well, yeah, no, they—I mean, they're impressive trees. I love juniper. Don't get me wrong, I love them. Um, and I think I will do a video soon. I'm going to do. I'm thinking I'll do like the Graham Potter go in to a nursery, pick a juniper, work on it, and then over the years I'll develop it and just show it as it develops every year. Yep. Um, you know, just just because, you know, I think I did the juniper in injustice by getting rid of it. I should have probably kept it, but um, at the time I was just sick of working on it. But, yeah, that'd be really cool to see a video um, on the juniper for a green note. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's definitely worth more than a green note now. I tell you. Yeah, yeah. He'll might be kicking himself. I might even be able to sell it back to him for two green notes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe ten green notes. Yeah, yeah. Investment. Yeah, he'll be kicking himself. Uh he's um he's got some super nice trees though in his garden. It's um. It's always a pleasure to walk around. He's got one of the um, Koroshoff red pines there. Um, yep. I think it was grown from seed in 1951, I want to say. I know, yep. I know it's 1950 something. Yeah I, yeah, I think it is 51. I've heard that there was a group of seeds that they got in and they all grew trees. Yep. There's. Um, yeah, I think it was 51, yeah. There's a couple of them down at the Arboretum in Canberra um, growing his Nawaki trees outside the Arboretum. And oh, they're absolutely massive. They're huge, such nice trees. Um, yeah. And then I also know another lady who's got a couple of the Koroshev trees. She actually, um, one of the Koroshevs used to actually live with her. And she's got quite a few of her trees, and I've been able to go around there and have a look at some of them. And then um, Andrew was lucky enough to purchase one of the the red pines, and it's a big semi cascade, and it's got like a big gnarly trunk on it, and oh, wow, absolute yeah. pleasure to look at. Man, I'm so jealous. Like, <laughs> as you know, I live out here. I can't. 
go and look at high quality trees and you know i feel like going on a trip over to your side of the world and or australia <laughs> seems like the other side of the world yeah and um you know having a look at some of these top shelf trees because it's, it's so hard i can't go somewhere and look at that yeah well you know what you're always welcome up here we can show you around and yeah well i'm planning you know i reckon within a few years i'm planning a holiday over there just to look at bonsai yeah well you know it's um you know I, i'd love to in a couple of years too i want to go over to america and go over to a few of the big nurseries over there and just have a look at some of their trees and um once this whole COVID thing's over, I'd love to jump on one of Bjorn's Japanese tours. Yep. Um, you know, he goes over there and sh take you around the Kokofu exhibition, take you to a couple of the big nurseries over there and, um, you know, have, have a look at some of the top quality trees in the world and, you know, really open your eyes to everything. I, I'd love to get over to Vietnam as well. Yeah, it'd be amazing. You know, so, some of the big trees that they've got over there, you can have a picnic under them. Yeah, they reckon you need a forklift or two to lift. Like, how how do they make one of those massive pots? Like, where do they fire it? Yeah, <laughs> I, I think a lot of those Vietnamese pots are made out of concrete, to be honest. That have to be. You can't buy something that big. Because I, I remember when the, the boys went over there, Andrew and Ash and Dave and all that, and they, they showed me these photos of some of these trees that they seen in Vietnam, and they were absolutely massive, huge. And they go, yeah. oh, these are just the ones <laughs> in the car park. Uh, they, these yeah. aren't even the show trees. Mm. Oh, yeah. man, they have some massive trees. Well, over there... Um, I mean, they're, they're doing figs and stuff like that. And because they've got such a humid environment, they just grow all year round. They don't stop. Yeah. 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 And I think that's my problem with figs because they don't really like the frost in the winter. Because even though I live in a desert, we still get minus five in winter, which, you know, burns all the leaves off a fig. If, you accidentally leave it out. So like the forecast would be wrong. It will say it's only going to get to two or one degree Celsius and then you'll get a minus four and burn all the leaves off. It's pretty hard. Yeah, well the thing with figs is is you should be protecting them at about six degrees. Yeah, yeah. Let alone anything, you know, south of that. Um mm. so even even up here we get pretty close to that in winter. Um we don't go into any negatives up here. Um, yeah. So we, compared to the rest of the world, we don't really have a winter. Um, yeah. It gets cold. No, I agree. We pitch and moan, but we don't really have a winter. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's funny. In the in the desert country, you actually get a colder nighttime temperature almost than the snowy areas. But... Like you say, the days are still warm. It's still, you know, I say some of our nicest days, middle of winter on a nice sunny day is actually almost better than a summer day. Yep. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, that's a, it's, I find that with the areas like you where it gets really hot in winter, 
really hot in summer, you know it's going to get really cold yep. in winter. Yeah, it does. Yep. So up here we're. But only at night. Only at night time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, up here. Daytime's still warm. Yeah, we we don't we don't really get a really bad summer up here. We get you know thirty seven, thirty eight degrees every now and then. We'll kiss forty degrees, um, and yep. then we all act like we're gonna die. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a shock. <laughs> and then um, when winter time rolls around, we kind of get. I would say our middle ground is about 10 degrees. Yep. yep. If, it, if it gets really um, extreme, we'll get down to zero. And that will be, yep. once again, we all act like we're going to die. Um, yeah. The end of the world's coming. We reach zero degrees. And then I talk to somebody like Nigel and he's getting down to minus 30 degrees Celsius. Man, I can't believe that. You would, you would chuck a bowl of burning hot water in the air and it would probably freeze before it hit the ground at minus 35. Uh, I just, I reckon if I was in that kind of environment, I'd go into hibernation. <laughs> oh man, I reckon, I don't know, can it burn your lungs? Can you go out there and get your lungs burnt? I don't know. I don't know, I reckon you'd be watching out for frostbite. Yeah, it'd be like dry ice. I just couldn't. You, you can't even um, imagine it unless you actually experienced it, I wouldn't have thought. Yeah, well, that's it. Can you imagine, you know, somebody like that coming over to Australia and living over here, you know, and they'd be wearing a singlet in winter. <laughs> yeah, well, they say the, they say the uh, French almost think about going for a swim in our winter when they come over. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm funny. I, I don't do well in the cold or the heat. Yep. But mm-hmm. Yeah, the, that middle ground. Mm, but the bonus is, you know, in our climate that we've got, we've basically got nine months of growing. Yeah, we do. We have a huge growing season, you know, um, nine months and three months or two months of winter and probably two weeks either side of winter. That's about it. Yeah, so we're, we're basically growing all year round. and um, So yep. we're, we're kind of lucky here in Australia like that, that, um, you know, you get some parts of the world. I, I've always wondered in those Scandinavian parts of the world, um, they get six months of, like, darkness. Yeah, I don't... I guess it would be like someone that puts their trees in the garage over winter. It'd be like being in a garage for the winter. I don't know. Yeah, they get six months of it though, and then, oh. and then they then they get six months of straight sun. There's no night yeah, and daytime. Yeah. They just get six six months of night, six months of day. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I couldn't. I couldn't do it. Like you'd be going to bed and it's daylight. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be a bit weird. I, I'd really love to talk to somebody from that that region and just see how trees react. Yeah, you should. Yeah, you should see if someone's doing bonsai over there and have a chat with them. Imagine that six months of daylight. Mm. See how they look after their trees. <laughs> Maybe with six mm. months of daylight, they build up that much energy that they need six months off. <laughs> yeah. Mm. 
they get a good sleep. Yeah, no, that's it. Oh, anyway, um, what are we at now? Two hours and twenty minutes. Nice. One, one of the one of those longer podcasts. I think um, I think we're gonna have to do fourth this again. Beer. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've had my fourth beer and I need another leak, so we could wrap it up now, I guess. Yeah, no, um, I think uh, definitely keep in touch and make this a regular thing. Yeah, yeah, check, sounds good. Check in every couple of months and have a couple of beers and sit down and talk bonsai. Yeah. And, you know, I, I like these more yep. laid back, more laid back podcasts. Mm. Yep, yep. Beer and beer and bonsai. Beer and bonsai, regular thing from now on. Yeah, yep. Um, give yourself a quick plug before we go. Where can people find your YouTube channel, Instagram, stuff like that? Um, I've got an Instagram Aussie bonsai bloke, and YouTube channel is the same. Um, yeah, and that's it. They're the only two platforms that I'm on. Um, and that's it. So I just upload. When I can, I've been a little bit more regular lately, but that's it. All right. Well, um, yeah, everybody get over there. Give Sam a follow. Check out some of his videos. Um, you know, see some of the more naturalistic trees that he's uh, pushing forward in Australian bonsai. And, um, yeah, until next time, uh, it was great having you on. Um, talk about some of that more... Aussie style of bonsai. Um, there's not a lot of people that I get to talk to that, you know, on the podcast about. So, yeah, it's definitely good value having you on. Yeah, no, thanks very much. And, you know, well done on your podcast. I've spent many hours in the tractor, you know, at work listening to your podcast. It gets me through the day and really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on and cheers. Now you've got your very own episode. Yeah. Cool. Pretty <laughs> pretty humbling. Pretty humbling experience. Cheers. <laughs> I'll see you later. Catch ya. Cheers, mate.